if you want people to be truly engaged, you have to help them understand how your organization is helping them grow in their career. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Didier Elzinga, who is the CEO of Culture App. Now, Culture App is a tool that helps make it easy for you to collect, understand, and act on employee feedback. And I'm going to let him explain what that means in a second. Didier, how's it going? Very well. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of uh, who you are and I guess the impetus for, for starting the company? Sure. So I'll give you the quick version. Previous life, I used to work for Hollywood. So I ran a visual effects company, worked on Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Batman, Superman, et cetera, et cetera, and worked my way up from being software engineer to being CEO. And I used to joke that as a CEO, you're as a glorified psychiatrist. There's so much of building a a successful business comes back to people and culture. So I I got to a point where uh, I became good friends with the founders of Atlassian. I watched them build their business, and I decided that – their business model was a bit better than my business model. <laughs> and if I, were, if I was going to do something big in the world, I should probably build a software business rather than a service company. And so I started CultureAmp. And the idea was really, how do we help people scale people in culture? But specifically, how do we help people bring the data in-house? And what drove me was this idea. I looked at marketing and I looked at the transformation that was occurring in companies using data about their customers to make better companies. And I thought the the tipping point that I was watching was that it was that data coming in-house. Marketing was not being done to you, and marketing was something you did. And I wanted to help drive the same change on the people on the culture side, help people use employee feedback, like you said at the front. Love it. Okay, great. And so this, I mean, there there are other uh, tools out there. So how does Culture App kind of differ from the competition? So, I mean, this is not new. This has been, uh, you know, going on for, for decades. I think historically the challenge has been that this has been a kind of slow consultant-led process. So we were really the one of the first companies to come in and say, let's make you the, you know, put you in control. Let's give you a, a platform for capturing employee feedback and understanding and using it. And since that time, it was about five years ago, you know, we now work with uh, over 1,300 companies globally, everything from 100 people to 100,000 people. And the thing that I think sets us apart from everyone else is when you use our platform to do this, we obviously give you the tools to, as you said, collect, understand, and act on that data. But the big thing is we give you access to the collective intelligence of all of the people in that network. And it's a range of different ways we do that, but it's it's about how do we democratize this? How do we get this into the hands of more people? And how do we learn from that process and share that learning back with everybody who's trying it? Got it. Okay. So I guess what's like a practical example or any case study that you could share where, where just helping someone kind of visualize how culture app works when they log into the thing? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, the initial use case, we, we talk a lot about employee feedback because we want people to understand it as a bigger thing. The entry point for most people is you're a fast growth tech company. You've just hit Dunbar's number, which is say 150 people, or you're a, you know, a company that's just IPO'd and you've got a thousand people. The challenge is 
you're looking at your people trying to work out how do we put the culture that we're trying to build first so that we can deliver the experience we want to our customers. And oftentimes what will happen at that point is they're like, all right, we don't have any data. So let's run an engagement survey or a pulse survey or a culture survey or some way of capturing how do my people feel. And then you'll use the answers of that survey to make decisions. What should we be focusing on? Do we have to invest more in learning and development? You know, are people struggling with performance? Uh, is collaboration the thing that's holding us back? And so what our customers are often doing is they're using our platform to collect information across the whole organization about how people feel and what the experience that they're having is. And then they're using that data to better allocate resources to improve it. And so that's the process that we help companies with. And once they've gone through that initial process of let's run an engagement survey, say, then it's about going, wow, okay, I've never had this information before. Where else does that information live in my organization? So team level, individual level, manager level. But the primary use case that most people start with is I don't know how my people feel. I need to understand how my people feel so that I can make better decisions. Got it. Makes perfect sense. And so how do you guys make money? So we're a classic SaaS business, annual subscription. Uh, you buy the platform and then you can use the platform to deliver a limited way of collecting that feedback in, in different formats and different channels. So it's a it's very standard SaaS model. Okay. And the way you guys charge, because I'm looking at the pricing page, you know, 3000 7000 I'm guessing it's based on features, number of seats. Yeah, pretty much the size of the organization. Uh, you know, it's an interesting tool in the sense that Almost all of our customers are surveying almost all of the people in their employee base. Mm -hmm. And then there's a portion of those people that are using that data, depending on how the, the organization is set up. So we charge by the size of the company. Great. Okay. Makes sense. So, I mean, what are some numbers you can share around the business today, whether it's you know growth numbers, revenue numbers, whatever it is exactly? So we're four offices now. So we started in Melbourne. So we're Melbourne, San Francisco, New York, London. We're almost 170 people globally and more than doubling every year. And we have about 1,300 customers globally. Love it. Okay, great. So again, I'm looking at the site right now. So, you know, employee engagement, employee effectiveness, employee experience. So I think employee engagement, people can kind of Google that, uh, find the survey. I'm sure you can Google all of these, but employee effectiveness, how is that measured or, or what are you doing around that? So employee effectiveness is really thinking about, if you think about it, engagement as being organizational feedback. So it's the organization listening to everybody and saying, hey, you know, what's your experience? What can we do about it? Uh, employee effectiveness is individual feedback. So how do we help individuals in organizations give each other the feedback they need to be better? And that product is really, that part of the tool is really about leaning into the shift that's happened. So people historically have said, oh, we do performance reviews. So once a year, we collect feedback to understand how well you went in the past. The truth of the matter is what you really want to focus on is what feedback do you need to give to people so they're going to be better in the future? So employee effectiveness is about giving people the tools to collect, understand, and act on the feedback between individuals that helps drive growth into the future. Got it. Okay. Great. And then, so, I, I mean, I, I always like case studies. Is there, are there any case studies of people kind of using Culture App and kind of a before and after? Just broadly speaking or specific to effectiveness? Effectiveness. No, let's go broadly speaking. That's better. Yeah. I mean, there, there, are, there are tons. A lot of them, they sort of fall into different camps. So one of the companies, I won't name the company because obviously we look after the confidentiality, not only of the people taking the surveys, but also some of the companies like you can doing it. Although if you look at our website, everybody. you can see we kind of work um, with everybody. <laughs> Oftentimes, companies will come in and what they'll, they'll have a sense that they have issues. You know, maybe they've been going along for a long time and they've been growing really quickly and the growth has tapered a bit and they've started losing people. So come, people are coming to us saying, hey, now we're suddenly losing people and we've never lost people before. 
And so they do a survey and they realize that their engagement scores are actually sitting in the 50%. One particular client I can think of had like 50% engagement, which means only half of their people were actually engaged in what the company was trying to do. And so just the process of, first of all, finding that out, then looking at the data and then using that data to kick off projects to actually move the needle. Within six months, they were actually able to... What's a good engagement score just for people to know? Because, yeah, I'm not really sure what 50% means. Well, so if you think about what engagement is, engagement is measuring... People proud of the place, are they intending to stay and are they willing to go the extra mile? So if somebody is not engaged, what it means is if somebody asks them, they're like, yeah, you know, I work there, but it's just a paycheck and I wouldn't use their products if I was you. <laughs> mm. or, or they're going, I'm just getting, waiting till I get my bonus or I'm, you know, actively looking for another job. And so engagement is basically measuring your people's emotional commitment to the company. So at an absolute level, you want to have as, as, as high as possible. It's, it's unlikely that it's going to be 100% because there's always you know, ups and downs. But really great companies have high 70s into the 80s, even into the low 90% of their workforce highly engaged. And so they're able to harness that and create better outcomes as a business. So this particular organization that I'm thinking of was sitting in just above 50%. Within six months, they are actually able to move that to 70%. So they, have, they had over 1,000 people. If you think about that, you know, that is 200 people that were basically sitting around thinking, when am I going to get my next job, who are now going, actually, this place is starting to go in the right direction. I want to help make this company a success. And so that's a huge impact on both the top line and the bottom line of a company like that. Love it. Okay. So I guess you know, using a tool like this, I guess, how did it prove the value to the, the C-suite for the, you know, at the end of the day? So it's like, okay, yeah, we've increased our employee engagement from 50 to 70%. But then you have the, the guys that are in there, maybe like a CFO or something saying, like, how does that add to our bottom line? How would you respond to that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the question as old as business itself, of course. There are some fairly simple models you can use if you want to try and demonstrate a direct ROI. I mean, one of the classic ones is just looking at your attention and attrition. I mean, rule of thumb is it costs you a year and a half of someone's salary to replace them. And that's because you've got to go find them, you've got to bring them in, you've got to train them. There's lost productivity while you're training them. Whether you believe that or some other metric, you can just look at it and go, a lot of our customers are retail businesses. And some retail businesses can have attrition that's as high as 100%. So they're turning people over every year. Wow. So if they can build a culture where a person who used to stay 12 months now stays 18 months, that's a massive improvement in terms of not having to train those people, not having to go hire to find new ones, et cetera. So you can do a basic ROI model off that. What we often point to, and when you sit down and talk to people about it, is, is actually even more fundamental. So you would sit down and say, we like to say, brand is a promise to a customer. Culture is how you deliver that promise. And so you actually want to sit down with the company and say, what is the experience that you're trying to create for your customer? And what is the experience that you need to create for your people to deliver on that promise? And so you can do an ROI model. You can also just use the data to say, what the data tells us is if we do nothing, this is what is likely to happen. And then you can choose to do nothing if you're happy with that future. And oftentimes what will happen when you look at the data is you go, wow, there's all these people that we think are really great and they're all leaving. And if we don't like that, we have to do something to change that. And I remember sitting in with a specific customer and we were doing this whole thing and the CEO was in the back of the room and we we're showing the data and he was on his phone. And I pointed to something and said, oh, what's this group here? And somebody said, oh, that's this new company that we just acquired. And the CEO put his head up and he's very proud. He's like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is fantastic. It's going to be the foundation of our whole you know, future push in this area. I said, well, according to this data, none of them are going to be here in two years. And across the board, they're not particularly happy with the company. And you see at that point, his whole face went white. And he's like, why hasn't anybody told me this? This has got to become our first priority. Uh -huh. We just paid you know, X million dollars to buy this company. And if they're not happy, 
we have a serious problem. So, you know, that's the sort of insight that it can help with organizations. And where it really becomes valuable, particularly for people like CFOs, is oftentimes people will have a sense of what the issue is. And so they'll, they'll feel it broadly, you know, it'll come up in conversations and so on. But nobody can really define it. And so it can be easily either pushed to the side or you can argue about what it is. Once you've got the data, you can actually have a conversation about it. And you can say, well, actually, 35% of people feel that way. It's not just the last two people you spoke to. It's actually hard and fast numbers. And then we can say, well, let's do something. And have we moved the needle? Are we actually able to change the perception of people around something that matters to us and to them? Got it. Yeah, I love it. I think it's super important. And I like how you know it's very quantifiable. So the types of people that you're typically selling them to, I'm guessing it's probably not the CEOs, right? It depends on the size of the company. Smaller companies tend to have more involvement from the CEO. I mean, interestingly, I present a bit on stage around creativity and around culture and innovation, all these sorts of things. And when I have a room of CEOs, I'll ask people to rate out of 10 how important people and culture is to the success of their business. And the average rating is 11. I'm sorry, is the rating out of uh, what, 10? Out of 10. It's a, it's a spinal tap reference. Got it. My point being that CEOs, I can think of, maybe three CEOs I've met in my life who actually truly didn't think the culture mattered. CEOs often actually really care about culture. Now, it's not to say they're not business oriented. It's not to say they don't care about revenue. It's not to say they, they're sometimes not ruthless. But they also realize at the end of the day, they need to create a very specific culture if they're going to be successful. 100%. Great. So in terms of, I mean, uh, customer acquisition, I mean, what's working for you guys nowadays? How did you go about acquiring, let's just say the first, I don't know, 200 customers? I mean, really early on, you know, we did, we tried everything and a lot of it was, uh, we did some inbound. So, you know, we set up our website and we talked to people, but a lot of it was just getting out, chatting to people, taking any demo we could. And then since the beginning, and it's still a really huge part of what we do, we've invested a lot in the community around the tool. So from the beginning, our whole mission was to help people bring this data in house and to help people make their company more culture first. And so we said right up front, we want to create a community and we actually call that community the people geek community. So people that care about people and culture, but are bringing a sort of analytic approach to it. We want to build a community, not all of which will be our customers. They're just people that care about putting culture first and making that a a reality. And so that process of, you know, even though we're based in Australia, we'd go to San Francisco, we'd go to New York, we'd go to London. In the early days, we would literally just send out a meetup request and, and host some drinks in a bar anybody that wanted to talk about culture, anybody who thought they were people, a people geek. And that's really been a big part of our engine. And now, last year, I think we did 120 events across 23 different cities. Wow. And we're actually just about to, we've just started on the process of a, next year will be our big culture first tour, culminating in a big event in San Francisco in the middle of the year. And how much are these events costing you for, on average? <laughs> Everything from nothing. I mean, in the early days, we just pulled every trick in the book to do it on the smell of an oily rag. These days, we put a lot more money into them. But, you know, there'll be anything from $50 to several thousand dollars. You know, a large event will will run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we've probably tried almost every different event format you can imagine. <laughs> and what's been the best one for you? Well, the truth of the matter is everything has a different audience and works in different ways. So we do webinars we do masterclasses where we invite you know, 10, 12 people often into an office of our clients and we talk about a particular topic. And so what we've actually found is that the best thing is to have a range of different types of events. What we've got much better at over time is you, you really you know, work out what the playbook is. So if we're going to do a masterclass now, we know exactly how many people we want. We know exactly how many people won't turn up. 
there's this, always a middle point, which is good. Like you don't have enough people, it doesn't work. But if you have too many people, then the experience isn't right. So what's the sweet spot where everybody gets the right return? You know, we've worked that out for all the different types of events. But broadly speaking, the thing that's worked the best is the fact that we're not just doing one thing. So we're, we're hitting different audiences in different ways. And oftentimes you're hitting the same person in different event formats based on whatever they're interested in and, and how they want to consume information. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, even though there's a lot of people that are interested in kind of marketing strategies and tactics, I, I've been telling people what's been most effective is, you know, live events, actually connecting with people, whether it's through a webinar, whether it's through, you know, seeing them actually in the flesh. I think it's one of the strongest things you can do, especially, you know, dinners and all that kind of stuff too. So I, I, I think it's, mm. it's cool that it's worked out for you guys. It is a long tail thing and you have to put a lot of effort into it and you can spend money, but actually the biggest cost is time and people. And so the reason that it works for us is when we hold an event in a city where we have an office or even, you know, elsewhere, most of our staff will turn up and everybody is happy to be there and really truly enjoys meeting the people geeks and interacting that experience. You can't fake that. Yep. And so where I've seen it not work is when companies say, oh, we're going to have an event strategy and they task some poor person with running the whole thing, but nobody in the rest of the company actually cares or wants to be part of it, right? This only works because everybody in our company sees themselves as a people geek and genuinely wants to be part of that community. I love it. Okay, so what's what, what's like one thing that's working well for you in terms of customer acquisition today, aside from the events? People want to hear about you know the latest tactics and all that. Do you have anything? Uh, I mean, I think what's been really interesting in the marketing world is to see the increasing sophistication of account-based marketing and particularly how this multi-touch model works where I get umpteen million, well, not umpteen million, I probably get 60 to 70 emails a day from somebody who wants to book a meeting with me for 20 minutes next time, next week to hear about my business. I'm not going to answer any of those. So how do how does somebody find a way of connecting with me on something of value, but then also how do we reinforce that in a multi-channel way so it's not just the who is this company, I've never heard of them before. So we've spent quite a lot of energy and effort into making sure that if we're interested in talking to a company or a prospect, that we are everywhere that we need to be so they know who we are when and if we reach out and we reach out at the right time. And what we've found is events are a really great way of bringing people into the funnel or into the community. So rather than reaching out and saying, hey, would you like a demo? Uh, it can often be more powerful to say, hey, would you like to come to this event? I know you're interested in this topic. We've got these people talking about it. And when we've alongside that already done a whole bunch of targeted marketing to make sure that they're seeing us in the places that they need to see us, that can be very powerful. But it, it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort <laughs> to make that work. Yep. Totally know what you're talking about. So. I'm looking at two blog posts that you've written, and you have one on, I guess let's start with this one first. This is, the title's you know, a little more uh, catchy to me right now, Letting Go of Your Best Employees. What was that blog post about? Uh, so that was really about leaning into one of the things that came out of our research is that if you, wanna, if you want people to be truly engaged, you have to help them understand how your organization is helping them grow in their career. Like It, it, it kind of makes obvious sense, but if I think the place I'm working for is going to make me more valuable and successful into the future, I'm more likely to want to be there and to stay. And one of the counter uh, sort of thing that might feel a little weird, but is actually makes sense if you think about it, is that one of the best ways of doing that is not to pretend that you're going to be together forever and not to say to everybody that you need to keep people forever. So, you know, we try and have an open conversation with everybody where I say when people join the company, I want this to be your dream job or a stepping stone to your dream job. And over your time here, it might be both. And let's have that conversation and let's be clear about it so that when you're here, you feel fully motivated because you know this is the best place in the world for you right now. 
And at the point when that is not true anymore, then let's say, cool, let's have an open conversation about how do I help you get where you want to go? And so uh, I borrowed this actually from the CEO at, at another company, Intello. When people join, I actually sit down with them and say, how do I use my personal network as, as a CEO to get you your next job? And people look at you and go, uh, aren't we meant to pretend together that we're going to be together forever? You say, no, like if you're going to hear two years, three years, four years, whatever it is, that's fine. But if I know where you're going, I can make sure that we give you the experiences that you need while you're here. And people respond really well to that. Yep. Hundred percent. I do exactly the same thing here. It's it's interesting. We had one guy uh, came, you know, interned for somewhere else and came to came to my company, and he went back to that company, and now he's back again. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I asked him why why'd you come back, and he's like, you know, it's because you guys, this is exactly what you're talking about. You foster growth, and you tell them, hey, this is a stepping stone. It's not a this is not the end all be all. It's about hitting your dreams, and I think people respect that a lot more, and it's clearly working for you guys. Yeah, and it's part of us. You know, we talk about what we need to do if we're going to be successful. And the very first piece is we actually have to put culture first. Yep. We we tell all our clients that you you need to use our software to help you put culture first. We also have to walk the walk. Right. Okay. How about this other blog post right here? The seven year overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that thing where you know people are always looking and go, hey, you're you're blowing up and doing all this amazing stuff. The truth of it is, everybody wants hockey stick growth but everyone forgets about the long flat bit at the start. <laughs> and, you know, we've been doubling and growing really quickly for the, for the last few years. But the first couple of years, you know, you're trying to build a product, you're trying to find people. This was our third product as we you know, through, tried different things, went, okay, this is working but not working well enough. And so not, nothing comes easy and you never know ahead whether it's the right thing. What's like not working well enough? Like those three products, like is it like 100K, like ARR, you know, million? Like what is it to, what would you do? How'd you define it? Yeah, so the first product we had, which was in the performance management space, we had customers. What we found though was that there was no repeatable sales cycle and it was a universal problem without a universal solution. And so, you know, you find yourself stuck in the, in the tens of K ARR and you've got this thing, people like really like the idea, but everyone's like, oh, maybe it needs to do this or maybe it needs to do that and there's no common buyer and you just keep going around. And at the time, it always feels like you're one feature or one thing away, but it never quite cracks. And we actually just got to the point where we set ourselves a deadline. If we couldn't get this to accelerate, you know, there's a lot, depending on which, whether you're B2C or B2B, there's all sorts of reference points out there for how fast you should be growing, but you need to be growing. You need to be growing in, you know, X percent per month. And so we just said, well, if we're not going to hit that, we're going to try something different. And then what we found was when we ended up on the product we're on now, it, was, it only took a few weeks for us to get our first customer and then stuff started going. Like, ah, that's what success feels like. <laughs> that's what this is meant to be. You know? But it is actually really hard when you're in it not to feel like you're just one step away. It's often not until you have hindsight that you can look back and realize, actually, it, it wasn't working and it just took us too long to realize I want to back up a second to what you talked about earlier, going from a service business to a software business, because we had a couple of people on the podcast and actually we haven't talked about this for a while, I guess. So it's good to hear different perspectives. So, you know, when you switch from a service to a software business, you know, what are some of the transitional, I guess, the, the tough things that you had to go through? Because one of the things that sticks out to me is like what happens to the employees of the service business? So I didn't switch the business. What happened was I worked in at a company called Rising Sun Pictures, so a visual effects company. I worked there for 13 years, and I started as a software engineer right at the bottom. I was employee number six or something, uh, and I ended up as the CEO, and I was the CEO for five. And so I got to that point, and I could have stayed as the CEO, but I ended up going back to the founders of the company and saying, you know, I love this company, but I have to push myself, 
and I think this is the right time. And part of what helped me realize that it was the right time to step out and try and start something new was watching what Mike and Scott were doing at Atlassian going, that is an incredible business that they have built. And it's an incredible business model too, because it's essentially a monotonic revenue curve. So yeah, I stepped out. That business still runs. They did, they've done amazing work on Gravity and X-Men and all this sort of thing. And I still keep in touch with them, but I stepped out on my own to, to start Culture App. Thanks for clarifying. Just a couple more questions on my end as we work towards wrapping up. What is one new tool that you've added a lot in the last year that's added a lot of value, like Evernote? I'm a bit of a tool junkie. So personally or for the organization? Let's do both. At the org level, it's funny. As you get bigger and, and scale and you know you have more people and more systems, I tend to hate most of the software we have to use because it's awful. But what's, one, one thing that we've used that I've, I was kind of skeptical on but I've actually really enjoyed uh, is a thing called Donut, which is a, um, a tool in Slack that helps you set up a bunch of things. But one of the things that we've used it for is what we call Camper Coffee. And so it's just a channel and anybody who wants to joins the channel and then it more or less randomly assigns people to each other. And the idea is that you have a, a, a camp of coffee. What makes it work? And at the end of it, we just say, hey, the company will pay for it. And you just have to post a picture and say what you talked about. What's made it work so well is because we've got four offices across so many different time zones. It's been phenomenal for creating relationships because it just gives people a reason to have, you know, an hour long chat with somebody that they've never seen before and otherwise would know nothing about. And you get these, I saw one the other day where two new people in the company kind of said, oh, we caught up and we talked about riding motorbikes, fixing motorbikes, buying motorbikes and selling motorbikes, all the important things in life. And it was really cool to see these two people that have never met suddenly realize they had this shared passion. And so they've now got a connection that you, you, know, you can't fake. So that's been a really cool tool for us as a company trying to handle having hundreds of employees spread across the globe. Personally, Probably the thing that I uh, spend the most time tweaking <laughs> is my own use of, uh, so I use Todoist. I use a, a modified version of Bullet Journal with my own written documents, like I have a little uh, notebook. And then I use Todoist as my sort of memory collection for things that I need to keep track. And their filtering tools are pretty cool. So I've now got a, a fairly customized setup for how I track what I'm doing and, and what's coming up next and what I can do with the time I have. So it's a sort of a bastard child of GTD and, and bullet journal. Love it. What's one must read book you'd recommend to everyone? If you're in the, if you're ha functioning as a you know founder or executive, the book I always recommend to people is the effective executive by Peter Drucker, which was written in 1976, I think, or 79, but is still incredibly effective. Huh. Yeah. You know, it, what's interesting, I've, I've read his other books uh, I've read, I, and there's a couple of like, there's everything else has kind of made sense with that one. I, I don't know what, for, for whatever reason, it seemed, it came off kind of dry to me and I, I couldn't finish it. I don't know why, but I'll, I'll give it another go. Really? That's because that's the really short one. It's like 70 pages long. So he's, I mean, he's got a lot of short books, but I'll, I'll give it another shot just because you recommended it. And now it's <laughs> in my head. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Great. All right. Well, Didier, this has been great. What's the best way for, for people to find you online? Uh, well, with a name like Didier, it's not hard to, uh, to track me down. <laughs> so just Didier Elzinga, you know, Didier at Coltramp. Uh, easy to find on LinkedIn, easy to find on the Coltramp website. You know, always happy to chat to people out there trying to make the world a better place. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks, Eric. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.